Welcome to the Entourage Podcast. My name is Paige Scott, and I'm going to be your host. Entourage Ministries gets its inspiration from Psalm 6811 that says, The Lord gives the command, and a great army of women proclaim the good news. Entourage is a multi-generational, multi-denominational, multicultural women's ministry based in Durant, Oklahoma. Join us today as we dive into truth from the Word so that your heart and spirit may be encouraged. So for context, they're going to hand you something just to kind of pass along so that everyone can visually see what I'm talking about. And um, tonight I am going to be speaking on what it means to be crowned with peace. And... um, and it's one thing to say it. Truth, truth is truth. And it does cut like a sword. But it's another thing to have literal understanding from the Holy Spirit and enlightenment about the depths of that truth. And so in just a minute, I'll have us all say it together. And, and we can believe it and agree in faith. But then I want to take us um, far and deep and wide into what that means And so um, these will be passing through. Just take a look. Keep passing. This um, this is something that I bought for my daughters, and I bought for for a friend. And you can't really see it, but the print, the painting behind the calligraphy, is the woman with the issue of blood reaching out for Jesus's hem of his garment. And this is from an artist named Mindy Oten. So if you want to, I've made these little copies for you to look at. If you want to like buy their artwork. You can find it on our website. And then you see like this list of declarations, um, this list of truths. And those are from a calligrapher named Janessa Waite. And so I saw this in this season and I thought, I love this. I want to gift it to people. And then as I just began to meditate on what each of these declarations said, I thought I really want to teach them. And I'm going to have to teach them to my daughters because I'm not content just to say them and sort of believe them like I want them Im- embedded and ingrained. So, no matter where you join us from tonight with having any knowledge of the word or um, of, of what it means to be crowned with anything, let alone peace, um, these are seeds because they are truth. And if you will just prepare your heart tonight to say, Lord, I don't understand half of what maybe was just said, but I believe it and I agree with it, then I promise you those seeds will harvest and you will reap peace in your life. And, um, and so just a, a verse from Ephesians 1.18 it says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of his inheritance in the saints. So that is my prayer for tonight that you would come to know the details of this part of the riches of his inheritance, this crown or being crowned with and of peace. Katie, if that's too breathy and if it's going to be a problem for you, I can switch to the other one. Turn it like that. What? Yeah, I can try that but I can hear me breathing. So anyway, if it bothers anyone and you're like, this is going to drive me nuts, lady, just tell me and I'll switch. So with that in mind, we're going to cover a lot of ground. And I want to begin with this short story. How many of you have seen or read the Chronicles of Narnia, specifically The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? 
Okay? So for those of you that haven't, it is like an allegory. It is a made-up story that tells a, that paints a picture of a true story. And the characters in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe are four siblings, two young boys, two young girls. And they end up in this magical kingdom, whimsical kingdom called Narnia. They end up there by mistake. And so this kingdom is made up of um, good and evil. It's made up of um, folks that look like humans and then talking animals. It's a, it's, a, it's a classic, a literary classic, and there's a great movie that came out around 2004 uh, that you could watch um, currently. But anyway, so the, these four young kids, uh, the Peverleys, I think are their name, they stumble into this kingdom, and they know nothing about it, and so they're just navigating and trying to find their way. And they encounter these two beavers. I realize this sounds crazy. It, it kind of is. And so they sat down to have dinner with these beavers. And um, the, again, the, the humans are just like trying to figure out where are we, how do we end up here? And the beavers are so excited that they're there. And they say, you're the sons and the daughters of Adam. And they're like, what? And they're like, you don't know? And, and the humans are like, know what? And they're like, you don't know about the prophecy? You don't know who you are in this kingdom? And so they have no idea. They're like, Aslan has been waiting for you. Aslan is like, he's a lion, but he's like a picture of Christ in the story. He's waiting for you at the table um, because you have, a, you have something to do here. And so everyone in the whole kingdom knows who they are, including the evil white witch, except for these four siblings. And so the story takes you on their journey of doing what God has called them to do and them realizing, wow, we had a purpose here. We were born for this, and, and, um, and they, they get crowned to the coronation ceremony at the end of the movie where they step into who everyone else knew that they were all along. Does that make sense? So when I think about this declaration I am crowned with peace. And on the count of three, I want everyone to say that with me. One, two, three. I am crowned with peace. No matter what you feel coming into this room, no matter what your experience has been in 2023 or the past decade, if you are in Christ, and that is a qualifying statement, this, I'm talking about those who have been born again and accepted Jesus, you are crowned with peace. And the word says that, that heaven, what, actually it says all of creation waits for the sons and daughters of God to be revealed. And it's sort of the same plot as Narnia, where everyone is waiting for these four kids to realize who they are. And I think that the world is waiting for us and, and, the, and angels and, and um, the heavenly realm alike to walk in the authority and the anointing of peace that we've been given. And so if you don't know Jesus, you'll have the opportunity to accept him tonight. And if you just feel famished or like the illustration Callie gave with the buckets, like your bucket's just not getting full, we want to pray that thing full of peace tonight. But um, we're going to have to take a little bit of a journey because I want you and I want me and I want our spirits to understand and bear witness with exactly what this means. So first... And um, we probably need to just for context talk about what are crowns in scripture. Um, 
how many different types of crowns are there in terms of, of language. So in the Old Testament, you're going to find two different uses in Hebrew for the word crown. And they mean two different things. Both are relative to this scenario. This declaration, I'm crowned with peace, it is not a Bible verse, but it is a biblical truth. So I get to take some liberty in how I teach it. One of the forms of the word crown is to be encircled or surrounded. So um, I feel crowned like I have a 10-year-old, a 9-year-old, and a 7-year-old, and a 3-year-old, and they like have supersonic ears, and they can just like find me in small spaces all the time and encircle me, and I'm like, I've been found. So that would be an example of what it means to be crowned or encircled in, in Old Testament and Scripture. You see it used for the first time when someone's in a battle scene and someone's closing in on them. It's, it's David, and, and he, it says that he's been encircled by his enemies. But you also see the word used, um, the, the Lord has crowned me with favor as, as like a shield. And so then you've got a different version of that word crowned, which is more traditionally kind of probably what we're thinking in terms of something that is on you that is consecrated and set apart. So whether that is a physical crown, whether it's a turban, whether it's anointing oil, or whether it's a hairstyle in the Old Testament, it's called, excuse me, a neezer, like the word Ebenezer. And so that's a different variation of the word crown. So just... Bearing with me going into those things, since most of these passages are going to come from the Old Testament and tie into the New Testament, you can think of being crowned with peace. Both is the reality, the biblical reality of peace surrounding you and encircling you and peace consecrating you and setting you apart. Okay? So that's how we're going to think about being crowned and what it means to be crowned with peace. So first, I need to talk to you about who you are in Christ um, with regard to, to this. Um, so 1 Peter 2, verse 5 and verse 9 tells us that we are a, if you are a believer, you are a part of a kingdom of priests. So I gave the example of Narnia, this kingdom they stumbled into. They had no idea their role in the kingdom. But we are part of a kingdom, and we are part of a kingdom of priests, okay? The word tells us in Romans 8:17 that we are also co-heirs with Christ. So in this kingdom of priests, who is the king? It is Jesus Christ. And to be a co-heir with him means that there are qualities, there are attributes, there are riches of his glory and his inheritance that we are privy to as co-heirs. His choice, his goodness, not our works achieve that. Um, Philippians says that we are citizens of heaven. Again, it's this notion that, yes, we are here, but we are part of another kingdom. We have, a, we have citizenship somewhere else. Just like if we traveled to any country in, in the world right now, we have, um, we have an ambassador there. We have an embassy there. And we would have certain rights as American citizens in that country. Um, and then finally, Ephesians 1, 11 through 14 talks more about this inheritance that we have in Christ. Um, it, it talks about how we've been sealed with the Holy Spirit, which is um, it's like a, a redemptive promise of what's to come. And so when you think about the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit dwells in you if you're a believer. And one of the things that that Spirit does is bear the fruit of the likeness of God in your life. 
We call it bearing fruit in John 15. We also call it fruits of the Spirit in Galatians. So because we have an inheritance of the Holy Spirit, we not only wear a crown of peace, but we bear peace in our lives. And it's not because of us. It's because of the inheritance that we have received, whether we realize it or not. How many of you know in like a crazy movie scenario there's this crazy plot and someone passed away and they left you five billion dollars but you never find out whether you're aware of it or not if that's on a legal document somewhere you have five billion dollars that has been allotted to you and so our inheritance in the heavenly places through Christ and the deposit of the Holy Spirit works the same way. There are things that are signed and sealed in covenant whether we choose to live by those truths or not. Peace is no exception and certainly is one of, I think, those greatest riches of glory. So, so that's a little bit about who we are in Christ. But I think now I need us to understand who Christ is so that we can understand better our our lineage. Um, I have a little boy, and his name's Oaks. He's so cute. And when people see his dad by him, they say, oh, that must be his dad, because they look alike. Their likeness is very similar, and how they act is alike. And even if Justin was, even if that was, was not the case, if people didn't see them together, I would know that, because I know both of of them. And so sometimes we don't realize how much of the likeness of the Godhead that we have in our lives, just maybe because we haven't, um, we haven't spent time in the Word to cultivate that, or we haven't been around people who have called that out to see, hey, to call that out to say, hey, I see, I see the Father in you. I see the King of Kings in you. I see Jesus in you. I see something like peace that doesn't look anything like what you look like in the natural, but I see it like flowing out of you right now. So understanding his likeness is going to help us grasp this concept a little better. So I want to start <laughs> with Genesis 14. I'm just, I'm going to be in a lot of passages and I'm going to move quickly. So don't feel like you have to turn with me. This is the very first book in the Bible. And this is probably a passage I would choose not to ever teach on um, if given the choice, because it can be confusing, but it doesn't have to be for us tonight. So, story of Genesis, Adam and Eve make a great sin, great fall. The world ends up in a state of evil and darkness, and God begins a redemptive plan. And a few chapters later, on chapter 12, he picks a man named Abram, changes his name to Abraham, and says, if you will just believe me, and Abram wasn't a good guy, by the way. God loves picking people that are unqualified and qualifying them for his covenant and his inheritance. So he says, if you'll just partner with me and believe what I say, that I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you the father of nations. And basically in you, the whole world's going to be blessed. And so Abram, Abraham, is the father of um, many people today, but specifically uh, specifically the Jews, Hebrews, Israelites, come out of Abraham's covenant with God. And so not long after this happens, two chapters after Abraham says, okay, I'm willing to take you at your word and do this faith journey with you, Lord. Um, he goes out to battle and, um, and he experiences 
a win in battle against some evil kings, right? All of scripture is the story of good versus evil, but living in the reality that Christ has won and he is the victorious king. So in, in Genesis 14, you find the story of the war of kings and you get down to verse 18 and you meet a character called Melchizedek. And Melchizedek is a king himself. And his name, Melchizedek, means king of righteousness. How many of you know there's only one righteous person that has ever lived, and it is Jesus Christ? Also part of our identity is that his righteousness has been imputed to us. So, anyway, this king of righteousness shows up, who is also the king of Salem. Salem is basically the same word as shalom, which means peace and wholeness. So you've got this priest that's coming after Abraham begins this faith journey with the Lord. And he's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the city of peace. And he also is the priest of the most high God. So we're seeing a whole lot in this one character named Melchizedek. And so he comes out to Abraham, this man that's willing to walk by faith in the Lord. And he brings bread and he brings wine. And he blesses Abraham in the name of God. Or El Elyon, God Most High. And so why do I share that? I share it because Melchizedek is a picture and a type of Jesus Christ. He is, this exists throughout the Old Testament. In almost every major Old Testament story that you know, there's a character, or there's a story, or there's something that paints a picture of Jesus. But what we see right here at the beginning of covenant is a priest and a king named Melchizedek that is coming to bless the people of God that are walking by faith in relationship with him. And so throughout scripture, specifically once in Psalms and then again in Hebrews, you see this comparison of Jesus with Melchizedek come up. So again, what I want you to remember, he was the king of righteousness. He was the king of peace, the city of peace. And he was the high priest to the most high God. This was even before Abraham had reaped the blessings of God having a nation like Israel that he was building. So this is something that precedes time. This is something that precedes our understanding. Yet it exists. And so you'll remember that at Christmas time, when we see all the names of God on signs and we sing Christmas songs, what, what, what do we call Jesus? We call him the Prince of peace. We've heard that before. We've heard about the ruler of the city of peace in Melchizedek. And so we and we know the angels say there's peace on earth because this ruler, this king and this high priest is coming. That is Jesus. So I'm going to flip to Hebrews and read a couple passages that kind of tie this together um, just so that so that we can understand. So Hebrews 7, 1 through 3. It says, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, king of the city of peace, priest of the most high God. He met Abraham as he was returning from the war of kings, and he blessed Abraham, to whom also Abraham apportioned a tithe of all of his spoils. And by the translation of his name, king of righteousness, then also the king of Salem, which is the king of peace. Without father, he was without father, he was without mother, he was without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life but was made like the Son of God and remains a priest perpetually. 
So now I'm going to flip in the same chapter to verse 15. It says, and this is clearer still, if another priest arises according to the likeness of Melchizedek, it's talking about Jesus after the resurrection, who has become such not on the basis of law or physical requirement, but according to the power of an indestructible life. It will be attested of him. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, there is a setting aside. Actually, I'm going to stop there. We don't need to go that far. And then I'm going to read one more passage from Hebrews. And don't worry, we're going to keep moving. So I'm putting lots of info out there. Just hang with me. I'm going to bring it together by the grace of, of God. And we're going to get a good picture together. So Hebrews 8 is talking about this ministry of Jesus that is better, it's superior to the law that Moses gave, to all the rules, all the things that came out of this lineage of Abraham. And, and it says in, in Hebrews 8, 6, he has obtained a more excellent ministry by as such he, talking about Jesus, our high priest, is the mediator of a better covenant, better covenant than Abraham's covenant, better covenant than Moses' covenant, better covenant than Noah's covenant. We have the supreme, the premier, the ultimate covenant of which has been enacted with better promises of which one is peace. And we'll get to that in just a minute. And Jesus is the mediator of that, both as the king of righteousness and the king of the city of peace. Hebrews 10, 11 through 13. Every priest stands daily. This is talking about um, the priest from the Old Testament. Every priest stands daily, ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices, which at that time took away sins. But he, Jesus, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God. So his work was finished. He became the lamb that was slain. He went back to heaven, resurrected, ascended. He took his place and he sat down with a completed work, both as king of kings, lord of lords, and as the high priest that now lives to mediate our better covenant and better promises and lives to make intercession, meaning pleading with God the Father, praying to God the Father, praying on our behalves all the time. Jesus does that. He is that good. So what I want you to understand about Jesus, he is king of kings, and he is high priest. And those are without genealogy. They are without time. They are forever, and they are permanent. And we live in the reality of that covenant. So that's why when it says we're part of the kingdom of priests, we share that likeness, whether we understand it or not. We share a lineage. We share a spiritual DNA of redemptive royalty. And I think that's important to understand so that we can keep moving forward. So the biblical precedent of crowns, because we're coming back at the very end of this, I just want you to understand I'm crowned with peace. I'm crowned with peace because Jesus mediates a better covenant with better promises. Peace is one of the promises. I'm crowned with peace. I'm surrounded with peace. I wear peace as a set-apart thing in my life. So crowns in, um, in the Bible, really interesting. Guess who wears crowns in the Bible? Priests and kings. 
okay? So it's very straightforward and simple, literally. Priests wear crowns and kings wear crowns. So there is this shared, uh, they don't look the same, they're different in their function, but that is the reality. In fact, the very first mention of, of a crown, like a, the, the Neezer crown, is um, when Moses has taken the Hebrews out of slavery, and in Exodus, God is giving him instructions up on the mountain, you know, and they make the golden calf, and the, they also get the Ten Commandments. A lot happens there. But one of the things that happens is that he develops his priesthood with Aaron. He develops these people who are going to go and minister to the nation on his behalf and also perform sacrifices to atone for, for sins. And so in doing that, in Exodus 39, 30, they, they describe what is called the holy crown or the sacred crown. And this is what the high priest wore. The high priest wore a turban like nothing we've ever worn here in our country, in our culture, in this room, unless you're getting, you're getting your hair dried and the hairdresser puts it in a towel. That's the closest description, I think, so a turban. And then they put this sacred crown that goes across the forehead of the high priest and all around the back of his head. And it says, holy to the Lord on it. Okay, so that's our first mention of this set-apart crown in, in the Old Testament. So if you'll just like put that to the side, the priest, the high priest wears this, the crown that's holy to the Lord. And it said that the purpose, it was, it was pure gold, that it was to take away the iniquity, both of the priest and of, of the people. It was like literal, literal protection as we could best under, understand it. And so it's a little more straightforward when we think about kings receiving crowns. That probably first comes, comes to our mind. But crowning, whether um, a high priest or whether royalty, it is about being um, set apart, surrounded, and encircled. And they're both symbols of authority and anointing. And they also symbolize inheritance and lineage. So... If what I'm proposing to you is that we are crowned with peace. So whether we choose to receive that and walk in that or not, there, there's, a, there's a spiritual realm that is not natural, that's not physical. That can be seen. We walk in the authority of our Father's likeness. We walk with those things on our forehead that say, holy to the Lord, that say, set apart for his glory. Um, and it's a beautiful, beautiful reality. So I think, too, as we think about the big picture of being crowned with peace, we have to ask, what else are we crowned with? Because is peace the only thing? No, it's not. There, there's glorious riches. They're plural. So I just want to look at a couple more of the crowns in Scripture, and you can add these to your repertoire of who you are in Christ and the reality of what you're walking around in in his likeness. So in May, uh, Prince Charles became King Charles. Anyone hear about that? Yeah. Are there any, like, monarchy junkies in here? No? Me either. Um, but I... I did catch that on the, on the news. I watched the news. And so um, in, in that family, in that lineage, they have what they call the crown jewels. They have seven royal crowns 
that they rotate throughout time and occasion. And then they have six more crowns that like a spouse may wear or someone who is not um, the premier person reigning. So for example, King Charles was crowned in King Edward's crown, which was made in 1661. It is worn for that purpose. It was worn not for very long. And the only people that are allowed to touch that crown are the priest, AKA the archbishop in England, as they anoint the crown and the jeweler of the crown. And, um, and then he has a different crown that he'll, he'll switch into. But as we think about being crowned with peace and the glorious riches of heaven, I want you to think about the treasury of crowns that we wear because they exist. So I'm going to tell you real quick what they are. So these are some of the things, according to the word, that you are crowned with. Um, so I talked about the holy crown for the priest in Exodus 30. Psalm 103 says that you are crowned with steadfast love and mercy. That sounds a lot like Psalm 23 and its ending. Um, that those are things that follow us. Maybe they follow us because we have been surrounded by them and encircled by them, crowned by them. Um, you are crowned with favor, as with a shield. Psalm 512. You are crowned with glory and honor. Psalm 8:5. You are crowned with knowledge. Proverbs 14, 18. And then there's a whole collection of future crowns that we will receive. Um, and that is the crown of victory, the crown of rejoicing, the crown of life, the crown of righteousness, and the crown of glory. So we have crown jewels that we are privy to because we share in this inheritance as citizens of heaven and a kingdom of priests. So I want to talk specifically about how peace is one of the promises of our inheritance and our likeness in Christ. Um, in Ezekiel 34, which is a wild, crazy book, um, actually Ezekiel is supposed to be a priest, but they get carried into exile, and, um, and he doesn't get to live out that in a way that looked traditional. Yet God begins to speak to him while he lives in this foreign land, and, and there's just horrible, awful stuff going on. And in the middle of it, God speaks restoration to Ezekiel. And he says, I'm going to do something better than this covenant of sacrifices in, in, in the Mosaic law. I'm going to make a covenant of peace with people someday. And guess what? That's the covenant that we're part of. So literally, peace is the covenant that Jesus mediates. It's peace between us and God. So because we have vertical peace, we can have horizontal peace, and we can have eternal, internal peace as well. Um, Romans 14, 17 says that the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but it is a matter of righteousness and joy and peace. And so again, we're kingdom people. We are kingdom women. I talked about the fruit of the Spirit, the promise of the Holy Spirit, um, the seal of the Holy Spirit. And part of the promise of the Holy Spirit is that production of peace in our lives when we are abiding with the Holy Spirit. Now, we can quench the Holy Spirit. We can turn that water faucet off. And, and we can stop the flow of, of love and joy and peace and patience. And that is not because um, God is hard-hearted. Is because God is a God of free will and, and choice, and he allows us to draw near in the same way that Callie talked about the woman. He gave her the choice. Do you want to drink? And it took her a minute to, because she wanted to argue about it and say, 
what, what do you have to give me, basically? And so he gives us that option. Even as believers, there are times where we can say, no, this is an impossible situation. Your peace is not going to match up to my circumstances, so I'm going to strive a little bit. And you know what? We just kind of close the door. Are we saved during that time? Absolutely. Have we quenched the Holy Spirit and his ability to flow his fruit into our life? Sure. Um, but that seal, that promise, that inheritance of, of peace comes with the Holy Spirit. And John 15 is where it talks about bearing fruit. It talks about abiding and remaining in the Lord. And in that nearness, which we see with a picture of a, a branch and, and a vine, we see, again, a picture of just a flow of peace from the identity of the King of Salem, the city of peace, of the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ. So to skip back just a little bit, I'd talk to you about the first time that we see a crown being placed on someone at the command of the Lord, and it was the high priest. In Numbers 6, we see a further instruction to, um, to these priests. So the Lord is very detailed, like here's what they're going to wear, here's what they're going to say, and, um, and here's why they're going to say it. And so at the end of Numbers 6, in verse 22, it says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and to his sons, saying, Thus you will bless the people of Israel, and you will say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace, so that you will put my name on the sons of Israel, and I will bless them. And so you can see that part of the desire of God in the inferior covenant was to have his name, Jehovah Shalom, Prince of Peace, King of Salem, placed upon his people by this priesthood, who, this high priest who had this crown that said, Holy to the Lord. And so the reality is that in Jesus, in the, in the superior covenant of peace, that he has, because I told you his work is finished and he sat down, he has forever blessed us and kept us. He has made his face to shine upon us. He has been gracious to us. He has lifted his countenance toward us. Even when you think about the cross, the cross being raised and going up, he's, he's turning his face to a lost world to extend salvation. And he has given us peace in his name has been permanently placed upon us in the fabric of our lives. So peace is his idea. Peace was his covenant, his promise, and part of the name that he chose to reveal that he wanted placed upon his people that were set apart like the Nezer, like the crown that I'm talking about. Um, there's a, a passage in Philippians 4. If you do have a Bible, I'd love you to turn there. Because this is a, I like, I guess like when I'm drawing ink on my belly right now. It's okay, I won't be able to wear this shirt ever again anyway. <laughs> It'll be available in the boutique next month. <laughs> so if you'll turn to Philippians 4, uh, this is an epistle, which is just a fancy word for a letter. And uh, it was written by Paul. Paul was a bad dude that killed Christians. And now he's encouraging life into Christians and into small churches and people that are walking with the Lord for the first time. 
And, um, and so he says a lot in this little letter. But specifically, I'm going to take you to Philippians. Where am I taking you? Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Okay, you'll know these verses if you've been around or been in Hobby Lobby. It says, be anxious for nothing. But they're really important. I mean, they're really important. Like, so this, that's a good example. Like, we can plaster stuff on our screensavers and our walls and still not let it fully grasp us. And so that's what I don't want to happen about being crowned with peace. So this says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and guard your minds in Christ Jesus. And so I want to come back for just a minute to this picture of the priest, the high priest, where we see crowning happen for the first time. And I want to talk again about how they put this crown around his turban that has this golden plate right here in front of your frontal lobe. And I just want you to think about the significance of that. You know what your frontal lobe does? It does a lot. It controls your emotions. It controls your responses. It controls your reactions. If you were in a really horrible situation, your frontal lobe would be probably calling the shots on what your feet and your hands and your mouth and your eyes are doing. And how gracious of the Lord for his priest to put that crown where it extends over the top of that frontal lobe. And he says, I'm going to protect you from bearing the iniquity of the people and yourself. That was the context of it. You know, iniquity, iniquity, to define it easily, would be, here's the reality of who we are in Christ and what God has called us to. So, Eve, don't eat the apple, right? Eve eats the apple. That gap, we call it sin, we call it iniquity. But how often is there iniquity in our thought process between the reality of who God says we are, the reality of the size of a situation, versus the truth of what God says? So as, as you think about yourself as part of being in a kingdom of priests, I want you to remember that golden plate right here. This is holy to the Lord, that is a source of protection, that is a source of, of bearing that gap between where the Lord says you are and where you feel like you are. And just remember that God has not only given you the authority to wear that and bear that, but as a priest to remind others that the blessing is on them too. Janelle, I see his name of peace on your forehead. Renee, I see his name of peace and his likeness, Jehovah Shalom, on you. And it's just a powerful, powerful thought. Um, so to, when you read that verse and you think about being guarded by peace, I just want you to think of literally that priest crown that goes right across this front part of your brain and your head, your anatomy. And how special that is. And then finally, I'm going to flip to the book of Zechariah. Where we can just kind of see some of this tied together in an action. It's a little book. 
little prophetic book in the Old Testament. Getting close. I've, I've taught on this passage before in Hearts of Rest. I always talk about it because it's beautiful. But in a similar time, I talked about Ezekiel being carried off into captivity when things were looking yuck. And the Lord said, don't worry, I'm going to restore. And I'm going to restore with a covenant of peace. So similar type of, of situation with, with Zacharias, sort of a contemporary, maybe not in the exact same time frame, but in terms of, of captivity. In Joshua, or Yeshua, which is the same name as Jesus. So again, this is a foreshadow of Christ, but a real person. He, um, he's being commissioned back into the work of the Lord because they've been like, kind of sent off. And so the Lord's reminding him, like, no, you are the high priest. I've called you to this. This is who you are. And this is how the story goes. Uh, jo- Joshua, or Yeshua, the high priest, and this is not Joshua the warrior, two different people. He gets the opportunity by the Spirit to kind of be caught up in the heavens in a dream and see a spiritual reality that I think exists for all of us and that you'll bear witness to. So this is talking about an angel of the Lord in beginning in Zechariah 3, verse 1. It says, Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan was standing at his right hand to accuse him. Okay, so again, he couldn't see this like when he was awake in the daytime, but the Lord was allowing him to see the spiritual reality of Satan standing by accusing this priest of God. You don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you get that? You're like, I feel feel accused constantly. I feel constantly like there is a voice um, that is telling me who I am not in Christ what I have not done right, that there's no one that can bear my iniquity and sin. So that, that is, a, that is a, a reality. He is the father of accusation. Um, now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments as he was standing before the angel. He hadn't been in his priestly role. Um, he didn't have on those beautiful royal things that the Lord ordained and, and the pretty peace and turban the pretty crown and turban on his head. And so as he's standing in filthy garments, he spoke and said to those who were before him, this is the Lord speaking now on Joshua's behalf, remove those filthy garments from him. And he said, see, I've taken your iniquity away from you, and I have clothed you with feastal robes. And then he said, now put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head, and they clothed him with with the garments while the angel of the Lord, or while the Lord was standing by. And so as you think about that clean turban, that would include that crown as well. He's the high priest that says, holy to the Lord. So we get this whole picture here of this guy who is called to this office, who has been in captivity, and the Lord is showing him a picture of what he's dealing with. And the Lord rebukes Satan on his behalf. The Lord changes out his garments. The Lord puts a brand new turban on his head with a brand new sacred crown that says holy to the Lord. And he commissions him to go and do his work as a kingdom priest. And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing because all of that is part of the old covenant. All of that is part of what was inferior. Inferior. 
So if God did that to move a nation forward so that he could bring Jesus, the Prince of Peace, out of it, that he might live and die and dwell and rule and reign in us, how much better is our access to peace today? The final verse that I will close with is John 14, 27. I think this is an important one to know. This is Jesus speaking at the end of his life before he's crucified and resurrected. And he's, he says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. Don't let your heart be troubled nor let it be fearful. I want to talk about this because I think sometimes we get confused about what peace is or isn't, especially as a believer and in hard times. Peace is a fruit that is produced internally. Peace is not external. So peace, when he says, I'm going to leave my peace with you, and it's not the kind that the world gives. Peace is not the absence of conflict, but it is the presence of the Holy Spirit in every circumstance in our lives. And I think that you could read about Stephen the martyr in Acts as a great example. Stephen was being stoned to death for following Christ. And, um, and it says that his face was radiant. And he was praying for his offenders. Somehow, in the midst of probably circumstances that none of us will physically go through, he was full of peace. And you cannot explain that outside of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and the kingdom of heaven and your citizenship there, our citizenship there. I think about other first martyrs who, who were torn to shreds in lion, in, by lions and bears in, in the Colosseum, and it said that many of them rejoiced and sang praise as that was going on. How many of you know that those are not good circumstances? <laughs> those are not peaceful circumstances. I mean, I love peaceful circumstances. I love to sit by the ocean. I love to, I love just quiet in general as a mom. But peaceful circumstances do not dictate the flow of peace in and out of my life. It's my lineage in Christ. And it's my choice to realize that I'm a citizen of Salem. I'm a citizen of Shalom. And the king of peace has adopted me into his kingdom. And so, in just a minute, we're going to declare that again, that I'm crowned with peace. And I want to remind you that you don't just wear it. You don't just bear it. You do those things. You're encircled with it. You're surrounded by it. And you are set apart in this life with a crown of peace. So, on the count of three, I want you to say it with me again, and I want you to receive it in your heart of hearts, that you're crowned with peace. I'm crowned with peace. So on the count of three, one, two, three, I am crowned with peace. And so Olivia and her team are going to come up, and, um, and they're going to lead us in, in worship. Olivia is also halfway through her gestation with baby on the way, and so that's exciting. Um, forgot to mention that earlier. Um, and I'm going to ask those from my team who would be willing to come up and, and minister to make yourselves available. And um, 
And there's three things specifically that I, I want to invite you to come pray for, but we'll pray for, for anything. Um, one, if you need healing in your, in your body, we want a partner to pray for your healing. If you don't know Christ, if you've not accepted him, if you've not been brought into the kingdom of light from the darkness of marvelous light, the word says, then we just want to walk you through inviting Jesus into your heart. And we want to pray for you to be overcome with peace. And then finally, if you do just feel near death with the despair and circumstances of this world, we don't want to make light of those and we don't want to minimize those because there's bad stuff that goes on. There's heartbreaking stuff that goes on. But that verse about being guarded with peace, it says that it transcends understanding. So where our understanding runs out about why things are the way that they are, that is when peace ignites. And that is when we feel encircled by it, set apart by it. And so I believe every woman in this room is part of a kingdom of priests, but I'm willing to pray and I'm willing to remind someone who they are, that they are crowned with peace, to put the blessing in the name of the Lord on them, to have peace. And so if that's you, let us pray. Let us pray peace over you. Let us walk you to the Lord. Let us pray for shalom in your, in your body, in your mind. Lord, I thank you that you are the Prince of Peace. I thank you that peace was your idea. I thank you that in your presence there's fullness of joy. And there's just provision, God. Sometimes, like Callie said, we think we know what we need. We need something else so that we can have peace. But it's really just your presence that brings it when we're all out of the other options. So corporately, as a leader, I just say, like they said, we just want you. We're, we know there's no fix for peace. There's no crown of peace. There's no encircling of peace outside of you. It just comes with your presence and, and being part of the family and kingdom of God. And so we thank you for that. We receive it. And I speak peace over all of my sisters in Jesus name. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. For more information about Entourage Ministries, visit our website at entourageministries.com or visit us on Facebook or Instagram. 